In Philippians, we're in chapter 1, moving into verse 22, kind of like what we did this morning with James. Moving into 22, it just lines right up with Sunday morning. Even though we missed a few Sundays, we're still lining up with Sunday morning in terms of the chapter and verse of the book. But I want to go over, last time we went over 19, 20, and 21. And he's talked about in there that to live is Christ, to die is gain. And um, what I spoke of in that message was that some people contemplate their life and they don't like it and they want to maybe commit suicide or end it uh, out of a fit of depression or hopelessness. And the reason they want to do that is to lose the pain, to lose the hurt. But Scripture here says to die is gain, not to lose something, but to gain something. And so there's no gain in that. Someone might say, well, it's to gain no pain. That doesn't gain, that just loses pain that they're feeling in their life. And so, to live for us is to glorify Christ. And to to die to gain is when you die for a purpose, for Christ, for a reason, not to get rid of something, but to build something or to restore something or retain or create something new um, for God. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Jesus died on the cross and it was a gain. He lived His life for the Father, but His death gained a whole lot. Same with the Apostle Paul. He said, for me, dying is gain because if He dies, the Gospel is still going to further because He's done the work. Now, if they take his life, that means that he will have died for the cause and people will be encouraged by that. If he continues to live for Christ, then he'll continue to preach the gospel. So either way, he says the gospel is proclaimed whether he lives or dies. And this is what his heart's desire always had been, was that Jesus Christ be proclaimed and him crucified and uh, resurrected from the dead. So that's what the Apostle Paul desired. And so... So he talks about that, and then he, on the heels of that, on, right after that, in verse 22 is where we pick up, he says, if I live on, <laughs> there it is, if I continue to live in this flesh, this will mean fruit for what I, my labor. Yet, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. And, what, and he's not saying, I choose to die and therefore I will, or I choose to live and therefore I will, but he said, He's hard-pressed that if God were to take him home or if God leaves him here, he doesn't know which one he'd rather have. Because both of them glorify Christ. He would see Jesus face to face and being alive, he would offer it to others so he builds the kingdom. And he says, I I don't know which I would choose. I cannot tell. And he says it in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Having a desire to leave this world and be with Jesus. To depart and be with Jesus. Which is far better. (laughs) And now he's not saying that to die and be with Jesus is better than to live and promote the gospel. What he's saying is life with Christ in any situation, especially eternity, is better than this world. That's better. I would say that's the best. 
You can't get any better than uh, walking forever with Jesus. And he says, so that's far better. Nevertheless, he says, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. In other words, it's more beneficial for the kingdom and for the churches, especially when it fell by, that he would remain to do the work of the gospel. Make sense? Yeah. It's pretty, pretty logical, uh, what do you want to say, reasoning. And so, in 25, he says, Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Now, listen, listen to that. Being confident of this, that it's more needful that he's here. So, it's gain for him to be with Jesus in eternity. That's better for him. But it's more needful for the church if Paul stays. And so he says, so I'm confident that God's going to let me stay on to help you grow in the faith and your joy of faith. And in Scripture, now I'm using New King James here, but uh, the only place I've ever read joy of faith is this verse. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Normally you say, uh, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Or my spirit is filled with joy. Or Jesus brings me joy. But this is joy of faith. Now, if it's a small phrase like that, joy of faith, right? And you've not connected that anywhere else in Scripture, maybe it raises a little question. Why here? Why now? What's he talking about? Why is this important? And what is he saying to us that is different and unique that he would say it like this? I'm going to tell you something. I am a person who believes there's no mistakes in the way things are written in the Scripture. I don't think they're written in errancy. I don't think this is, oh, well, he meant joy of the Holy Spirit. He would have wrote that. That would have been written there. I guess he would have written that, I should say. And uh, and he wouldn't have said, for your progress in joy of faith. He would have said, your progress in the faith and for your joy. But he, but he says progress. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but when I hear progress, I hear growth. For me, I don't know about for you, but for me, when I learn a truth about God that really helps me or challenges me, I get encouraged by that. It's like, oh, I get to learn, I get to grow, I get to do. There's more there for me to learn, and it excites me. I've been working through a book uh, last few weeks, I finished, called... Uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Cesaro. And fantastic, fantastic. And as I was going through this, I went, God, thank you for this information because this is really confirming some things I've wondered about and, and struggled with and it's helping me to release some things in my life. And when that happened for me, I was 
being prepared for what happened to me at the AACC. Because I was reading this book before I went there, and I was trying to finish it up while I was there. And it talked about the things that a person does in their life and what it looks like in the world. And, and let, me, let me break that down a little more simpler terms. He said, if you belong to the family of God and belong to Jesus Christ, you live differently. You think differently. You act differently than anybody else who doesn't have Him. If there is no disconnect in your action as compared to the world's action, then there's a problem with your connect with Jesus. And so, I really like that he said that, that a church is about love. And if a church isn't loving each other and loving others, there's a disconnect in the face with Jesus. And he talked about that. If you belong to the family of God, you live different. You talk different. You don't want to have the same standards because you don't. Jesus is your standard, no longer the world. So when I was talking about this morning about that kid who said, well, what about everybody else? They're messing up too. Why aren't you doing anything to them? That's the world's standards. But I want to measure myself not to other kids, not to other people, but to Jesus. And until I attain the stature of Jesus Christ and what I do, I'm not done yet. And I, and I guarantee you that your progress isn't done until you are getting there either. And so that progress in the faith, when you see something that you can get out of the way and all of a sudden you love better, you're no longer held back in uh, thinking about yourself negative ways and that's gone and you get a little bit of freedom there, there's joy. And that's joy from the faith. Because your faith has broke that stuff off. Um, I can't think of what sermon it was, but it was a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about um, the Splankna group at AACC where they broke some stuff off of me. And I was talking about curses and things like that. And, and in the process it said, the reason they're here is because you got some unforgiveness. And I went, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to process this whole thing and trying to learn how it works and also letting it work on me, right? Because I like to know how it works and to let it work so I can share it with others later. And, and, and they said, well, you got some unforgiveness. That's causing the curse. I'm going, can you connect these dots for me? Can you do that? Because this progress that I want to have is being blocked by lack of forgiveness according to what they're saying and it's causing me to live restricted in the faith. And I don't want to be restricted. So tell me how this works. And they did. Needless to say, a jaw-hanging open preacher was more than what they saw. I was almost going, I can't close my mouth. It was so, <laughs> it was so powerful what they said. And I'm going to share briefly a part of it. They said, the reason that if we live in unforgiveness is because it says to the world and to what's happened that God who said I forgive you and them isn't strong enough for you. And God's saying forgive one another as I forgive you and we're rejecting that truth. I don't have to forgive because they hurt me. 
I don't have to forgive because it's not that big a deal. But it, but it festers. Now, unforgiveness does not come out as joy. <laughs> Even if it's little. Now, here's a true story. I may have told this story here that will give you an example of how this worked in my life. I used to work at Walmart in Paducah back in 06. And, uh, and, I, and I knew the folks who I worked with. We got along real good. And um, one day, um, I didn't work there anymore. But I would go through the self-checkout line and they used to have the self-checkout line where the person who does that and watches over that was toward the front of the store instead of toward the back where they are now standing. And she was standing there, and I went up to her. I had two purchases. And, and I'd done this several times where they would just ring me out when the other ones were full. And she said, I can't do that. And I went, everybody else said, she says, I can't do that. And just real snippy. And I said, See, if I ever talk to you, let you check me out again. Right? Immediately, bitterness, upsetness, and unforgiveness settled in. So every time i come to Walmart after that, I would avoid her line, even if it was the shortest line. I'd punish myself, <laughs> you know, because now it took me longer to get out of there if she had the shorter line. And, um, and, and this went on for a long time. I mean, I didn't even know her or her situation to find out she was having a bad day. I just assumed she was snippy and ugly. Uh, ugly talking, ugly acting, ugly heart, not ugly face. Don't know that that's necessarily attractive, but either way, to me, it made the whole thing unattractive. And um, so one day I decided, no, I didn't decide. God put it on my heart <laughs> to go and forgive her. And so I went through her line, and wouldn't you know, it's the longest line there, and people got all sorts of stuff, and I'm going, God, you asked me to do this, now I've got to wait a half an hour in line to do it. But I got up there, and somehow or another, I was the last person she was checking out. And I said, you know, we used to work here. She said, yeah, I remember. And I said, you know, I never really got to know you. I just wonder how things were going. She said, let me tell you. I have a daughter at home, a grown adult daughter, who has bipolar. And she's always attacking me and telling me how bad of a person I am. And I just can't stand to go home. So I try to work as much as possible and try to just survive here. And she said, it just gets really tough. Because when I close the end of my shift, I'm thinking about going home and how bad it's going to be. And uh, I said, I had no idea. She said, yeah, it's tough. I said, can I pray for you? She said, yeah. And I said, before I do, I've got to tell you something. And I told her. What was going on inside of me? And I said, you know, I had the wrong impression of you and I'm sorry. Because I didn't know you. And I didn't take the time and I'm sorry. And so I, I, I asked if I could pray for She's yes. So I, I actually said a real quick prayer out loud that moment. And I went on my way and I went, oh, I feel better now. And so there was forgiveness there, right? So I got my any aisle back, even if she was in it, right? But now I would look for her. I looked for her because I knew she struggled and a kind word might make the difference between a bad day and a good day for her when she's going home that day. And so I look for her and I say, hey, you need a hug? How are you doing? You know, how's your daughter? I know you got to tell me. She goes, how do you know this? 
She didn't even remember I come through her line that day and she told me her story for about five minutes. And I said, well, you told me one day. She said, oh, okay. I didn't know because I don't trust too many people here. Went, wow. And so, in that moment, at that time, I began to understand that, looking back now, that my bitterness stopped me from loving. And if I'm not loving, that means a part of me is festering and opening up all sorts of, get this, this is just not pretty, but all sorts of portals inside me for the enemy to attack and use that same thing for unforgiveness for others and resentment toward other people. So the enemy does. And so he takes that one little unforgiveness and piles other stuff and attaches onto it because I'm being disobedient in that area. I'm not following God's heart. I'm not following Jesus in me. I'm doing what I want to do because I'm upset with the way I was treated rather than forgiving. And so all the enemy has to do is say, hey, look there, there's someone else just like her. And then, and then I'll be starting to act like that. And when I'd see her, I'd walk with a scowl, you know, and just treated her ungraciously. And the enemy was convinced me that that was okay. Now do you see why unforgiveness invites the curse? Because the curse is what? Curse is the effect of sin on your life. And if we walk in unforgiveness or disobedience, we invite the enemy to keep the curse on us in that area of our life. So when I forgave her, I got freedom. And the enemy couldn't attack me there anymore or use that. And so when I went to the conference, I had no idea, no earthly idea what I was even upset about. And they did some stuff and they figured it out. And they said, this is what's bothering you. And this is where you need some forgiveness. I said, really? I need to forgive that? They said, well, well, you're upset about it, aren't you? And I said, well, a little bit. She said, it doesn't matter how little it is. Forgive it. Because the enemy takes a little, and as Jesus said, a little leaven, leavens a whole lump. So a little unforgiveness, a little bitterness makes a whole lump that way after time. The enemy don't need a big, big, wide open door. That's why he can get in. He sneaks in little spots where we allow uh, God's law and His rule and His heart for us to be compromised. And we, and we do it all the time. And we justify it. Justify it. We justify it every time someone cuts us off. We get mad at him, curse him. Curse Adam. Look at that! So-and-so did. You know, I can't believe it. He just, where'd you get your license? Kmart? And stuff like that. We're just angry and bitter. And so saying, gee, I, I wonder... I wonder if maybe they need to be ahead of me. Maybe they needed that. And God, be with them. Because if they're in a real hurry and they're not seeing around, God, protect them. But here I am telling them how bad they are and it's not reflective on them because my attitude and my lack of forgiveness will not hurt them. I'll never see them again. I don't even know who they are. I just know they're in that car. And they're probably that person like that person. You know, that's how you think. And that affects me. This morning we talked about what comes out of our mouth is what's in our heart. If our mouth is speaking it, our heart is feeling it and believing it. And so we can justify in our speech, our, our action, 
that we do not have to be obedient, it invites the curse on us. Because we're not asking God to bless our action, we're asking Him to not even be a part of it. God, I'm just going to justify this, even though it's clear to me, you said forgive as you have been forgiven, love as you've been loved. Uh, you know, I, I would, God, but do I have to right now? <laughs> Give me time. I'm not ready yet. That's the number one thing people say about lack of forgiveness. I'm not ready yet. That excuse will be the same thing God says to you when you come up to Him and say, God, I really need you to bring me home and uh, open the doors to me. And He'll look at you and go, I don't know if I'm ready yet. Because the measure which you judge is what will be measured back to you. And I don't want my attitude to come back to me from God. <laughs> Especially when I, the way I have been in the past driving. I tell you, if you want to learn to drive different, drive a school bus. You'll learn to drive different. I had to. Um, so, so I'm getting it is that we seem to think, and I'm not sure what this is all about, is that we don't have to live different than the world around us. That we're not called the God's standard. And so we don't make progress in the faith, and therefore we don't know faith is joyful. <laughs> we think faith is something you believe. It's not. It's what you live. And it should bring joy to you. Not consternation. Even those who are being martyred over the years were joyful in their martyrdom. Because they were considered worthy to suffer for Jesus. Do you remember in the book of Acts, the man at the beautiful gate, he got healed by uh, Peter and John. And that's a phrase where he's laying there begging for years. And he looks at Peter and John asking, expecting to receive something. And Peter says, silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man began to shout and disturb the prayer time in the temple. Got all the people in the temple riled up, praising God and the priests and the Sadducees and all those folks got upset about it so much so that they called the man in and they said, well, this guy said he's giving me Jesus and started walking. And, and uh, so they called Peter and John in and uh, arrested him and uh, put him in jail. And uh, and they and they brought him out the next morning and said, "Tell us what happened." He said, "Well, we didn't heal this man; Jesus did." And uh, and they flogged them, beat them, and said, "Don't speak this man's name ever again." And they walked out of there going, "Look what God did through us! We got beat for Jesus, and you know, praise the Lord, we got to suffer for Jesus." They were happy; their faith was confirmed, and they were joyful. Not challenged, confirmed. And that's the joy of faith Paul's talking about. I want to be here to confirm your faith, your joy. And if I stick around, I can show you that my presence in this life, though he's in bad shape at this time, Paul is, that he's still joyful because God is still using him for his glory. So until your life is ineffective for Jesus because you're no longer able to be, be effective for Jesus. And don't worry about the details. 
And if you get depressed or lonely or scared or afraid, know that He's still got a use for you because you can still do stuff for Him. And that's what He's trying to get at here. Is I would rather be with Jesus. That's much better. No question about being face to face with Jesus. The best thing you'll ever have in eternity. Forever. It's the most wonderful thing. A great reunion day as you said, Amy, this morning with your daddy. That day is going to be a great day. And that's going to be awesome. But he said, nevertheless, I'm going to stay here because you need to grow in the faith and learn the joy of it. That we would learn that too. And, and he finishes that sentence in verse 26. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus by me coming to see you. They love Paul. He's the one that founded that church that brought them the gospel. He was the first person to take it to Asia Minor. That's where <clears throat> this church was, right? And so, if someone led you to Jesus Christ, that person is very dear to your heart. That place, wherever it happened, be at this altar or wherever, is dear to your heart. And so, if it's a person that's been away for a while, and you see them, you go, Hey, that's the one that led me to Jesus. I'll never be the same because of that person. I'm so thankful to see you again. That is what Paul's talking about. That they're going to be overjoyed that Paul is coming in Christ to see them again. Because Paul is one person they know for sure is going to love them with the love of God. And that truly is a joyful occasion to be with people who love God and love you the same way. That's a great thing. That's verse 26. That's where we're going to stop. We'll pick up 27 next time we get a Sunday night service together. It'll probably be December the 8th because we have stuff until then every Sunday in the evening or otherwise. But I wanted to let you know that your life matters because of Jesus Christ. And your life matters because you can offer up your, yourself and your joy and your courage and your confidence to others no matter what you're facing. That's encouraging. Anybody have any thoughts, comments, questions, ideas? Anything you can add? Anything I didn't help clarify? Five of us, but that's not right. Five of us. Six of us. Six, yeah, there's six. Yeah, Dale came. Gosh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Dale came too. Oh, yeah, she forgot her daughter. Yeah. No, just kidding. Um, we'll erase that out of the video. Edit, 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 edit. Any audio? Um, I'll stop that right now, so I won't tell you who said that. 